This is VLX number 126, Let Our Eyes Be Opened. We are in Matthew chapter 20, verses 29 to 34. VLX stands for Video Lexio Divina, the Patristic Bible Study and Ignatian Prayer Series Online. God give you his peace, in nomine Patri Sefiti, et Spiritu Sancti, Amen. God our Lord, we ask the grace that all of our intentions, actions, and operations be directed purely to the service and praise of your divine majesty. In nomine Patri Sefiti, et Spiritu Sancti, Amen. And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent, but they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. Thus are the words of the Holy Gospel. So now let's look at verse 29. That's the first of today. And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. So of course, this is a true historical event happening from the road from Jericho to Jerusalem. And as long as we realize this was literal, we can also enter into figurative interpretations of this. As Pope St. Gregory the Great, he wrote about the geography of where we are today when he said, Jericho is interpreted the moon, and the moon in scripture is placed for the infirmity of the flesh. While our creator is drawing nigh to Jericho, the blind man is returning to the light. Because while divinity takes upon itself the infirmity of our flesh, the human race regained the light which it had lost. Okay, verse 30. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside, And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Now, the Greek word there being seated is kathimenoi. That is the past participle of to be seated. So it was they were seated. It's the root word of that English cathedral or seat of a diocese. Again, kathimenoi in the Greek today. That's the the plural past participle of being seated. Now, it's really important here to picture these two blind men seated by the roadside when everyone else is following Jesus. We have to ask ourselves, how long have they been there? I mean, think about it. Nowadays, people camp outside of Walmart or Target for Black Friday deals the night before. Back then, they actually waited for Jesus. Did these two predict his route from the night before, two nights before, three nights before? As blind men, this would have taken... Quite a bit of strategic planning from themselves and other friends to even know Jesus was planning on walking from Jericho to Jerusalem. Let's say maybe they'd been seated for 12 hours. They'd they'd be chewed by bugs at this point. And then we have to ask ourselves, like, I can't even go to adoration to be with that same Eucharistic Lord in a heated or air-conditioned church. Okay, and then Jesus comes by on this walk, and the two blind men, they're not just speaking to Jesus, they are yelling. The Greek word there is ekradzen. Ekradzen, it almost even sounds like that English word crying out. It's probably an onomatopoeia. Remember, an onomatopoeia is a word that sounds like what it represents. Ekradzen. They're crying out. And what what are they yelling? What are they crying out? Well, they are begging for mercy. They yell, 
Lord, have mercy. Now listen to the Greek words. Obviously, they were probably speaking Aramaic. But listen to the Greek words. And remember, the Greek's what's inspired here. And uh, Council of Trent says the most reliable Bible we have is actually the Vulgate. But let's look at the Greek and see if you can recognize it. It is kurie eleison. That's what they yell in the Greek there, kurie eleison. Now, please don't sing the 1980s song. Sorry if I got it stuck in your head. But notice we say that six times in the traditional Latin Mass, even in the low Mass on a non-feast day. Again, kurie eleison, Lord have mercy. So you should think of these two blind men crying this out when you yourself beg God's mercy at Mass, remembering that they were blind and we are often spiritually blind. Yes, we might be orthodox, we might be conservatives, we might be traditionalists, but there's still so much we do not see of the spiritual world or our own lives that God wants us to see. And what do the two blind men call Christ? They call him Huius Dawid. That's the Greek. Huius Dawid, which means son of David. Now, let's ask this. How do two blind men know the lineage of this rabbi named Jesus? Think about how weird that is. Of course, word spread quickly in ancient culture, and I would say much more accurately than in social media today. But just like today, they had to do their research and choose to believe if this was the Messiah. And so these two blind men, sometime before today's pericope, they do come to the conclusion that he is Messiah, but they still have to establish a strategy to meet him. Imagine how difficult this is. In fact, they must have studied, intellectually studied, to find Jesus. I think this is important because modern man tells us, or modernism tells us, well, you have one group of Christians who are good at religious in their study, And then you have another group of religious who really love God from their heart emotionally. But notice these two blind men encapsulate both of what we need. A heart totally horizoned on God and a mind totally horizoned on God. You see, they knew Jesus was the son of David. And we have to see that if they're willing to yell out with all their heart for him to have mercy on them, then it shows that God actually expects us to use both our brains and our hearts to seek Jesus and his church. Okay, now let's look at verse 31. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent, but they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Okay, the Greek there is epitimesen. Epitimesen means to warn or to rebuke. Then we have this verb, siopisosin. Siopisosin is the imperative of commanding another in Greek to shut up. And it even sounds a little bit like our English, English shut up. Again, in Greek, siopisosin. Again, I would say that's an onomatopoeia in Greek. Do people ever tell you to shut up about your faith? Well, learn from what these two blind men do. They cry out all the more. There's that word ekradzin again, yelling, kurie eleison hemos huios dawid. Now, in the imaginative way, Obviously, think about what you would ask of our Lord here. How are you blind? Not just are you orthodox, do you believe in the old catechisms, but are you asking for a spiritual or a physical healing as you see Jesus pass by on the wayside here? And see, some people will say, well, I'm too much of a sinner for that. These blind men knew they were sinners. That's why they're asking for mercy, and that's why we should have confidence here. Christ wants us healed. But he also makes us work for it a bit if to make sure that we really want it. 
I'm not promoting Pelagianism. Pelagianism is that heresy of pulling yourself up to heaven by your own bootstraps. I'm just speaking from the text here, showing God is not a vending machine. Jesus often wants to know how much we want it. And by the way, that's why fasting with prayer often obtains more than just prayer. Also, we see we have to press on beyond the people who would embarrass us for speaking too much to or about Jesus. The good thing about being blind and homeless is you have nothing to lose. There's a Mexican phrase that says, you can't pickpocket a naked man. You get it? Nobody can take your honor if you have none. So you might as well yell out about Jesus and yell out to Jesus. That's indeed where these blind men are as far as caring about human respect. St. Augustine says, Every Christian who has begun to live well and to despise the world at the commencement of his new life has to endure the censures of cold Christians. But if he perseveres, those who at first hindered him will soon comply. So what he's saying right there is the people that mock you for being an extremist or a holy roller or whatever else, if you continue on being a good example, they will soon follow. That doesn't mean always, but at least in St. Augustine's day when these were happier days, it usually warmed people up. Now people kind of have the excuse to say, well, all the hierarchy disagrees with you, but only the third secret of Fatima is going to explain why these days are a bit different from St. Augustine. But still the advice is the same, that you have to persevere past people calling you an extremist or a holy roller or whatever else names you get for sidelining your own human respect to follow Jesus 100.0%. In fact, St. Jerome adds, the first virtue of a Christian is to despise and to be despised. He doesn't mean we hate people, but he means to despise human respect. The first virtue of a Christian, says St. Jerome, is to despise and to be despised. In other words, if you're going to truly follow Jesus, you have to completely trash your concern for any human respect. doesn't mean that we just want to sideline all manners and things like that, but we do have to just not worry what it means to follow Christ and the traditional teachings of the church intensely. Okay, verse 32, and stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? So isn't this amazing that Jesus stops? All these people are following him, and he looks at these, these two humiliated blind people, humiliated not just by life, but also humiliated by that same crowd. And then Jesus truly leaves the 99 for the one, or the two in this case. And then he asks them so directly, probably looking straight into their eyes. Those eyes that are probably clouded or calloused over for years of no use, as often happens to blind men's eyes. But Jesus looks straight at them and says, what do you want me to do for you? You know, I wasn't planning on putting this in the podcast today, but at the March for Life in San Francisco, I met a blind woman who is a marathon runner. And this might sound a little kitschy or uh, predictable, but we had some spiritual conversations at, at a church out there with her friend. And her spiritual vision in the things I said and the things that she saw was just absolutely astonishing, even though um, she had, you could look in her eyes and see, see that she had had no function of those probably from her birth. And um, if you've ever seen a blind person's eyes, you understand, um, well, it's a fact that their, their other senses become much more honed in. And that's what you have to probably picture for these two blind men on the side of the road today. And so Jesus looks straight at them in their blind, defunct eyes and says, what do you want me to do for you? Father Lapide brilliantly and simply writes, He was not ignorant of their desire, but though he knew it, 
he wills to hear their confession of it. And they look back in Jesus' general direction. Again, they don't have use of their eyes, but they must look in Jesus' general direction, or at least tune their ears in that direction. And remember, they cannot see this beautiful, light-filled face of infinite grace yet. Why not? Obviously, because they're blind. They haven't seen Jesus yet, so they must just look in that general direction of the voice of the Son of God as they answer in verse 33, Lord, let our eyes be opened. What absolute confidence in this coming miracle. And then the word in Greek there is hina. That's where we get ut in Latin. Mean, and what that word means in Greek, hina in Greek or ut in Latin means, may the following happen. So in Latin, it's ut aperianta oculi nostri. Look at that word, oculi nostri, those two words rather. Oculi nostri is our eyes. So these two blind men must have been great friends with each other even before meeting Jesus, if they refer to their four blind eyes collectively as our eyes. Or in the Greek, it's ho ophthalmoi hemon. Ophthalmoi, you can hear what that's the root of in English. Hina anoigosin is the Greek right there, that they may be opened. So they study the ways of Jesus, track him down. Imagine that, tracking him down as blind men on his final way to Jerusalem. They humiliate themselves by yelling out more and more, Lord have mercy on us, son of David. This is also outstandingly rich. And then we are now approaching the apex, the summit of what Jesus is going to do for them. But notice that word mercy. Before we jump into that, notice that word mercy. That implies they don't deserve it. So also, we should approach Jesus when we ask for miracles with so much trust, but also with so much interior knowledge, we don't deserve such miracles. Because if we deserved it, we might say, Lord, have justice on me. Remember, justice is what you actually deserve. Divine intimacy says that justice is all that we need of God's love and mercy is more than we need of God's love. But mercy, we're asking for more. This is like Father Heilman says, God is not a vending machine. We have to beg for mercy because we know we don't deserve this. You know, talking about justice and mercy, it's kind of funny the social justice warriors, they're more concerned with a false idea of justice than the true idea of mercy. Maybe they don't actually believe that they're sinners, and maybe they don't actually believe Jesus is infinitely merciful and can forgive our sins and do miracles for us. Because nobody says, nobody says, have justice on me. Oh, Jesus, have justice on me. Why not? Because we realize we do not want to get what we actually deserve. But this is why we have to say, yes, I'm a sinner, and yes, I still trust Jesus can make me see both physically and spiritually. And doesn't that also tell us a lot about forgiveness in life? You know, if we don't want to get what we deserve, then we shouldn't probably give to others what they deserve either, except for these times we've talked about in the past, like really needful times of punishment giving to a th- that is given to authorities, like parents or the state, and boundaries with others that we've discussed, of course. So again, those last two verses, just to get the picture again, it says in the Bible here, And stopping, Jesus called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. So imagine the silence in the crowd now. Hundreds of people are on the edge of their seats to see what the rabbi will do after they themselves all yelled for these two blind men to shut up. All eyes are on Jesus and the two blind men sitting in the dirt. What happens next? Verse 34, And Jesus in pity touched their eyes. And immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. And Jesus in pity touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. Imagine the gasps and maybe the cheering. 
But more importantly, imagine that you have been blind from birth and the very first thing you see is that light-filled face of infinite grace of the Son of God looking at you. Can you imagine if the first thing you ever saw in life, or at least after decades of blindness, was the face of Jesus looking at you and healing you? And of course, they follow Jesus with all their hearts at this moment. Father Lapide writes, Let the man then who is blinded by sin and concupiscence say, Grant me, O Lord, to see the baseness of sin, the vileness of concupiscence, the worthlessness of pleasure, the fierceness of hellfire, the beauty of virtue, the blessedness of paradise, the eternity of glory, so that I may despise all concupiscence and aim at the practice of virtue. Please say an Our Father for me, et benedictio de omnipotentis patris et et spiritus sancti, descendet super vos, et maniat semper. Amen.